Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Nora Loretto, writer, activist, and royal watcher, joining us from Quebec City. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. Today we're going to talk about the radical conspiracy theory slash irrefutable fact that dozens of Canadians died because Trump assassinated a top Iranian official. Also, Harry and Meghan are moving to town and Hello Canada just had a fatal orgasm. Good to have you back. (laughs) Gross. Our episode is brought to everybody by Tara Cortis, Emily Newcomb, Grant Heaslip, Alejandro Paz, Jen Ulrich, Noah Lipsick, Cassandra Michelle, and Clinton Hallahan. Hello, this is Clinton Hallahan. I am from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Here in brief, my favorite parts about Canaland. Number one, Archie Mann, very handsome. Second, Thunder Bay, what a great podcast. But I think my favorite part about the Canadaland podcast is there is very few shows that will invite people onto the show to tell its main host that they're dumb with such frequency. Nora, so last week we were recording in, in just the early hours after this devastating tragedy uh, and this, this this commercial flight in Iran crashed, it seemed, at the time. We now know it uh, was not a crash. It was a uh, a missile. And... At the time, it was unclear what was going on, and it was interesting that the Canadian media was, like, leading with, there's no known connection here 
to the assassination of Soleimani. Don't jump to conclusions, folks. But it seemed to me like there's no way that this is a coincidence. It was not a coincidence. And now that reality is sort of uh, trickled through media coverage. I want to run through uh, three different things here. Scott Gilmore, writing in McLean's, writes that Donald Trump gets impeached and 57 Canadians die. Mm -hmm. Our prime minister says that the Flight 752 victims were collateral damage. And Michael McCain, the CEO of Maple Leaf Foods, takes to Twitter to write that the narcissist in Washington destabilized the region to distract from his political woes and innocent lives were lost in the crossfire. So you've got a journalist, a prime minister, and a CEO all stating a plain fact. Those Canadians would all still be alive if not for Trump. Guess which one of the three walked it back? Ooh, uh, probably not the CEO. I'm not I'm not sure. The one who did not have the courage to stand by those words was, was Scott, Scott Gilmore, Gilmore <laughs> who, who was like, by some freak accident, was right, wrote something that was true and right and needed to be said, and very quickly took to Twitter to say, I wish I hadn't written that article. Not that it's wrong to say that, like, obviously, if Trump hadn't assassinated Soleimani, those Canadians would still be alive, but... I think he I think all three of them hit a lot of pushback or or some degree of pushback for connecting those obvious dots. And Scott Gilmore said, yeah, I, I wish I hadn't said that because, I mean, sure, you could say that Trump killing Soleimani led to those deaths. But you could just as easily say that, like, I don't know, any number of things that led to Trump being elected. I mean, Anthony Weiner's dick pic, he actually writes, could 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 mm. be blamed for this. And we don't have a direct cause and effect. So I, I wish I hadn't said that. And I'm like, Come on, dude. Like, you know that tyranny and, and even like fascism have taken root when it becomes controversial to state obvious truths. Mm -hmm. It's not too far to say if you have the most powerful man in the world willfully initiating a lot of chaos, that the chaos that comes back in return, he bears responsibility for. Okay, yes. But let's then talk about what that means if they actually admit it. Because this is the point, I think, that has been lost in a lot of the analysis. That it's one thing to say that Trump's actions led to a, a fog of war situation where a plane was, was shot down where the majority of folks were coming to Canada on that plane. That's one thing. But if we concede our closest ally is chaotic evil to the extreme, what does that mean for our foreign policy related to the United States. There is a reason why columnists and journalists in this country are allergic to making these ties. And it's because we then have to face the fact that we are in bed with the most destabilizing and chaotic regime of a century, or maybe not a full century, half a century. And we have no idea how to navigate that. And we have no idea how to get out of it. And, you know, it, it was bad enough when, you know, the United States goes to war in Iraq before and then before that. It was bad enough that we went to Afghanistan. But when you had leaders like George Bush or like Obama or like Clinton, who are statesmen and stable and what you expect to be leading the United States, Canadians could swallow it and our politicians didn't have to necessarily account for our complete allegiance and alliance to the United States. Now we have this situation where it's not just what's going on in Iran. It's also what's going on in China, which goes back to the Iranian sanctions. And our relationship internationally is being completely led by the actions of the United States. And we can't, we're having a hard time saying that. 
Well, yeah. I mean, it worked for a long time to look the other way or to make excuses, and it doesn't work anymore. Depending on where your sympathies lie or what your politics are, maybe it never worked, but it worked. But you know, the center held for a long time. When it's coming back at us so incredibly directly, it's very hard to know what to say or do, even when you get plain words spoken, like this editorial by Lawrence Martin in the Globe and Mail, taking kind of like a firm stand and saying enough is enough. Collateral damage from Trump is costing Canada too much. Uh, maybe a rare occasion where Lawrence Martin and you are, uh, <laughs> have, you know, like some convergence on the Venn diagram. But it's it it, it borders on the absurd to, to read this piece that's like tough words about how, you know, let's face it, the cost of our allegiance is too high because it's like, what are you going to do about it, Pipsqueak? Right. Like, what does it mean to be a, a Canadian or, or, or for Canada as a nation state to take a position of saying like, wow, it really benefited us for a very long time to collaborate or be complicit, to ignore, to be a part of this. And now it's coming back on us in this way that like the benefits, like you, you have a leader who's indifferent to the relationship, it seems. And really in the most direct and tragic way, we're dying because of this. And, and, and you know, this really just does feel like a premonition of things to come. Like, like <laughs> I, I feel like this is how it must feel just to be a normal human in wartime, you know? Mm. The gods uh, exist and they are chaotic and vain and th their dramas are playing out. Uh, they are indifferent to us. We are invisible to them and we will be the ones to pay the price. And ours is not to ask questions why. Like, the reality of the new normal, when shit hits the fan, we don't matter. And that goes on a on a citizen by citizen basis. And I think it also goes for Canada as Canada. Yeah, but isn't it about time? <laughs> like, we've been participating in destabilizing governments around the world for many, many, many years. And if you look at Iran specifically, the way that the Western powers have dealt with Iran kind of has come to a head in the last two weeks. I think a lot of Canadians weren't necessarily aware of maybe the fact that we didn't have consular or diplomatic ties with Iran. That's a decision that goes back to the Harper years. And now that's been something that journalists have been able to condemn and say this doesn't make any sense. But if you've got any connection with folks who are Iranian and trying to be in Canada, either as a, as a student or as a permanent resident, you know how difficult that decision was of the Harper government. And we're seeing that come home to roost, where now families don't have that direct access through the consular ties. The federal government can't get visas expedited. This has caused a whole other um, a roadblock into our participation in the investigation into what happened. But it's not just that. There's also the question of sanctions. I think that a lot of times when we hear sanctions in the West, we don't actually understand what sanctions do to a population. A couple of years ago, I was uh, at dinner with um, a student in my partner's lab who's from Iran, and he was talking about how they can't get asthma medications because of the American sanctions. And at the time, my son has, well, still does, but he was in very serious uh, in and out of hospital all the time because of asthma. And I was just thinking to myself, like, this is how we're dealing with a government that is oppressive. There's no doubt about that, that uh, the Iranian people have been protesting consistently for many, many years. And we are complicit in making their lives even more terrible. 
And so now we arrive in a situation where Canadians have actually been affected directly, not just the Canadians who died on the plane. And when I say Canadians, I don't actually want to even mention citizenship. I I consider that the 138 folks who were coming to Canada might as well be considered Canadians. They were living here. They had relations here. They had business here. they, They had friends here. And it's directly touched other Canadians who were their friends and their colleagues or their neighbors or living within their communities, or they were benefiting or, or, or working with their research uh, and, their, and their other activities. And it's like, what do you think happens when war happens, Canada? Like when we, go to, when we went to war in Afghanistan, what do you think happened? Or what do you think is still happening? And so I think it's a real time for us to look in the mirror and say, wow, like this, as you say, this is actually the horrors that accompany war. And we're talking here in a situation, 138 Canadians dead. Okay, multiply that by 10. And then you actually have a a wartime situation where people around the world are, are constantly living through and trying to survive what are really horrible and impossible conditions. I mean, something is different. I mean, I, I think I hear you saying like this is always has ever been thus, so now it's a wake up call. And without really taking a position on whether it's right or wrong, there has been a way that things have worked that we've abided by, yeah. where things are are contained. And uh, when it's a commercial craft, when it's a plane full of neighbors and kids and academics and you know, you bring up some interesting points. Like I, I did take note of the coverage that, you know, I've always been a little bit uh, askance at this idea of like how we, you know, 100,000 people die somewhere and we find the four Canadians uh, to feature. Like it's always very strange that I should be encouraged that, that that's what I care about. And in this case, to read, you know, 57 Canadians lost their lives and then later to learn that over 100 of them live here. And what is the message of those different numbers that like the ones who have formal citizenship status should be of higher importance to me. Uh, they're my countrymen. What about the residents? What about the ones who, who neither live here or are citizens? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I what, don't, we don't care about them. There's only so much tragedy that people are willing to absorb. There's only so much that people are, are willing to make things personal and care about. And so we've drawn these lines and those lines are kind of, they're collapsing. Mm-hmm. And there is something different about this. And that is that there was somehow a sense of containment or that whatever was happening in Iran could stay in Iran. And for reasons of, it seems very baldly, Trump's political interests domestically, that's been broken. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity and they are doing cutting edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. 
And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Nora, we are going to duly note a couple of things, or maybe even a few, that perhaps are not getting the attention they deserve. And I mentioned, uh, I think, last week on this show that this very concerning report about the RCMP talking about, like, shooting people dead at the protest at Unistoten, reported by The Guardian, deflated by The Globe and Mail, and then re-reported and reconfirmed by The Guardian that this is what the RCMP was planning to do the last time there was a showdown. Well, it's happening again, and it's interesting how it's playing out, and I just wanted to draw attention to it. I think that this is, like, really where the rubber hits the road of all of these promises of nation to nation and whether or not the government actually, I mean, I think that's being exposed as, as, as a lie in the showdown, which is occurring right now. And the press significance of this is that this time the RCMP just blockaded, just would not let the media in. And it was heartening to see that eased in the face of uh, some public criticism. I note that Justin Brake, who is in the midst of fighting a precedent-setting case for his own journalism out east, he was tweeting about how the Charter and the courts grant journalists a legitimate right to be on the scene. And uh, the Canadian Association for Journalists uh, reaffirmed that right. And now I understand that Global News and the TAI and the Rebel have had feet on the ground at Unistoten camp and uh, disgustingly Key and Bexty of the Rebel, I think spent something under two hours on site and then tweeted that he hadn't been tomahawked and his report would be forthcoming, which he deleted, which is interesting to know that he's capable of shame. In any event, <laughs> that we don't have every major news organization in Canada present there. Like this is where it's happening. This is where that story is becoming practical does not say anything great about our media, but it was heartening to see criticism and public castigation of the RCMP, which, frankly, had the Guardian not broken that news that made the RCMP look so thuggish and reminded us of their origins as an anti-Indigenous police force, I think that they are showing that they are they care about how they're being perceived. And when we put eyes on them and expose that sort of stuff, things can change a little bit, which means that we might actually find out what happens there. And I'll further note that we're recording Wednesday morning and there's a press conference scheduled for later today. So by the time people hear this, they may know even more. Duly noted. Nora, what do you have? I want to duly note for you a recent article from the Toronto Star that is reporting that a judge has accused the Ontario government of deliberate state misconduct. That's in quotes for failing to address the inhumane conditions at the Toronto South Detention Centre. So this is an investigation that was written by Jacques Gallant at um, the Toronto Star. And in this article, it details some pretty horrific 
living conditions for the people who are held at the Toronto South Detention Centre. This is a jail that was built only in 2014. It was built to have a capacity of 1,600 people. It's never been close to capacity. It's only got about 900 people right now. But the list of how prisoners are treated, everything from being given soiled clothes that they're expected to wear that uh, gave one inmate uh, some pretty horrific rashes to sharing nail clippers from inmate to inmate. It's just horrible. I mean, I'm against the prison system entirely. I don't think that we should have jails. And so, I mean, I come from it from that perspective. But I think that everyone can agree that if people are being held uh, like animals, that the state has a responsibility to either explain why that's the case, try to defend it if they think that that's fair, and then let citizens respond and, and be angry and, and outraged with uh, with this approach to, to cleanliness and hygiene and, and humanity within prisons, or actually fix this, which I think is what, what you know, the article at the Toronto Star is trying to suggest, that they need to, they need to fix this. Um, when someone is in state custody, when someone's life is in the hands of the state, they should be at least expected to have access to a shower and have access to clean clothes and to have a little bit of dignity, especially because this is about pretrial custody. So most of the people there have not been convicted. Um, They're actually just waiting for their trials. And so that means that there's a lot of people who will not be convicted and who will not be found guilty who still have to endure these conditions. Duly noted. One last one I want to point out, which is um, I want to duly note these emergency alerts that we're getting on our phones here in Ontario. I'm sure people read around the country about the uh, false alarm this past weekend when we were told that there's something awful happening at the Pickering nuclear power plant. And then shortly thereafter told there is no emergency at the nuclear power plant and how all of our phones just uh, took angry shits at the same time. And this has been controversial in the past, the emergency alerts, the Amber Alerts, when it involves missing children, because anybody who's complained about this, who has dared to complain about this, you know, uh, when they're looking for a kid who's missing, it's taken as very selfish. I have been trying to examine my feelings towards these emergency alerts and Amber Alerts uh, to figure out why it is that I've had such a strong negative reaction to them from the start. It turns out it's because I do hate children. <laughs> no, that's not the reason why. Children are delightful. No, I, I think that the reason why I hate these emergency alerts, Amber Alerts, is, is because it's on a technical level. Like the actual thing that my phone does when it gets one, it, the way it buzzes and vibrates, it screams and it's very abrasive and annoying. But beyond the annoyance, it's something that I can't make my phone do. Right. Like this is this very intimate device through which I get texts from my family. This is how I communicate. Uh, you know, it's it's a big part of my life, sadly, this phone. And it is screaming at me in this foreign way. It's making like a much more urgent and angry noise than I am able to make it make. And, and that just feels like too much power for the government to have. Like, it's almost as if they could just sort of, like, press a button and make my toilet spew water in my face or make my children speak like Linda Blair in The Exorcist by pushing. Like, they shouldn't be able to do that. Like, they shouldn't be able to do something that we can't do. You know what I mean? But if someone's if someone's life is on the line, you should be able to have your toilet water sprayed in your face, Jesse. Uh, I, don't, I, I... I, I mean, of course you're right. Of course you're right. You know, uh, ex- except for the fact that with this nuclear power plant... I mean, first of all, once you've said... There's a problem at the nuclear power plant. 
you can't ever take that back. Like from now on, everyone is convinced that yes, there actually was a huge, you know, meltdown, and and now there's a cover up. Like you know, it's 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 out there, and no one will ever believe otherwise. But the fact that they are so capable of fucking up as they did in Hawaii leads me to believe that there is something very wrong about this system. But yes, of course, uh, you'd rather have false alarms if it saves one life. Yeah, I don't I don't refute any of that. But you don't No, you don't want that. I actually so I've thought a lot about this, too. And I have been also uncomfortable about the way that these alerts have been implemented from the start. I'm lucky because in Quebec, we don't have these alerts. And so my only experience with getting one of these alerts was one that happened in the summer. I was in Timmins. Everyone in the house got woken up because the alerts went off at different times because there was an Amber Alert issued. 800 kilometers away from us. I think that we have been primed in this surveillance era that there's nothing to hide, that everything matters, and that every time that the police say something is real, that it's real and we have to take it seriously. And there's no space for us to step back and say, what is the goal of these alerts? And what are the kinds of approaches that exist that actually might get people where they're at? Like, does it make sense to, to send one of these alerts to someone on the road if they're driving and they shouldn't be necessarily checking their phone because not everybody's got something that's going to put it through their speakers? I think that the bigger story in this is that the government's looking for a shortcut, first of all, to have direct access to your phone, which I have a huge problem with. And I think that it primes us to be prepared to have police and government have direct access to a very personal device. It's not as if it's like the old telephones of 20 years ago. Our cell phones are different. And it's also a shortcut because what we actually need is we actually need better local broadcast systems of local news and information and local news has been decimated across Canada and now we are at the whim of errors being made by government or by police agencies and so I that's where I'm at I think if they want to be able to inform us we need to talk about how to fund local news I think that there's an argument to be made to fund local news in the way that we fund public utilities, but that's for a different show. But I think that we need to start thinking about it in those terms. How do we actually get our information? How do we access people without scaring the hell out of them in the middle of the night? Nora, you're radicalizing me. I think I agree. I mean, I don't agree that like there's any kind of like plot to like, you know, this is a part of the surveillance. That there's like a conscious effort on government to, it's just what's happening as a practical result. Like there is a freedom lost here. And even when there was the emergency broadcast system on TV and everyone watched TV, you still opted in you know you chose to turn that on and there yeah. is a level of intrusion into an intimate space like your your sleep and anyone who's had newborns around or like you know you should have a choice whether or not you want your psyche if you've got you know mental health issues uh to have all of the world's problems and dangers non-consensually blasted at you uh, with this urgency and I guess, like, you know, the question that a lot of people have been grappling with, like, be a bit more public minded. Don't be so vain. Your interest in having a good night's sleep is trumped by these parents' interest to find their kid. I guess it's a controversial position. But ultimately, I'll say, like, yeah, my freedom does extend to me having a choice in whether or not I want to hear that. It does. And and if if, you know, we, we had a, a, an intrusion into our privacy in a different way, like if simultaneously the cops just knocked hard on every door in the country. We would understand that that like that. Yes, children go messing. That's awful. Do everything you can. But you can't do that. It's my home. Like there, there, there is a, a mm. loss of autonomy and freedom through these 
blaring, annoying, shitty Amber Alerts. Yeah, but it also, like, you know, we, you and I both have children. We can imagine what might happen in a moment where your children are being abducted. Do I want every single person in, like, the province to receive a, a frightening message to say two children have been abducted, find them? No, I want actually a system that is going to target people who are on the road, people who are out there and actually in a position to look for them, right? This, this like, nothing about our legal system is based on assume everybody is guilty and then we'll, we'll weed out the problems later on. Our, our legal system is based on using strategies that are supposed to work um, and that are supposed to be targeted and that don't actually create public panic. Hell yeah. Duly noted. Nora, I don't want to be one of those people who goes around boasting about just how little I care about the royal family. But I really have nothing else upon which to base my sense of superiority. No, it's not even true. I, 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 I'm, I'm watching that fucking Netflix show. I, uh, I haven't like connected the dots between like that show and this family now, but I guess I am. I guess I am a person who, uh, who cares about the royals. Jesus, how has this happened? Wow. Okay, I'll deal with this on my own time. There is something that I find interesting about the massive news that uh, Canada got this week um, about. Uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. That is this angle to it of like, okay, so like the UK tabloids killed his mom and now they're after his wife. Very dramatic. And so he's got to leave the UK to spare her from a similar fate. Can't go to America. The US celebrity paparazzi would be just as bad. So where in the world can a prince and princess go where the media, the local media, will respect their boundaries and and defer to power? (laughs) Where, frankly, there isn't enough media left to make their lives miserable, even if we wanted to. Canada, where media collapse is a feature, not a bug, if you are a prince. Wow, I'm so impressed that you got that hook in there because I was worried that we'd have to talk about the royals this whole segment. <laughs> what do you think? Is there an angle there? I like, uh, hate yeah. them. I hate the royal family. Do you? I, I, I have enough room. You were talking about like how far your sympathy can extend. Like we're asked frequently enough to consider them as human beings that, you know, I suppose I can kind of like daydream and imagine like, yeah, that's probably a horrible fucking hell that he was born into without any say in it. I'm sure that is a prison that I can't comprehend and whatever privilege and, and wealth, you know, is supposed to counterbalance that. I wouldn't take that deal if it was offered to me. I can kind of like daydream about how shitty that must be but no ultimately i i don't i don't care there's a lot of other things to care about i found some irony or or something of interest i guess in maybe the shittiness of canadian media or the absence of canadian media or maybe the high bar in the respect of the canadian media uh having this kind of like global significance and that this is the target country and i also found it ironic that part of this whole deal and how it was sold to the british public was like hey people they're looking to get off the public dole you can't fault them for that. And then immediately we're told, oh, yeah, Canada will spring hundreds of thousands of dollars for their security detail. I'm like, wait, wait why are we suddenly willing oh, to yeah. pay for this? Not to get up in the angry taxpayer kind of, but fuck yeah, to get up in the angry taxpayer. Like, why, why should this have any repercussion on our, our purse uh, here in Canada? And then I guess I was also intrigued to read a highly scientific, I'm sure, post-media poll that found that 60% of Canadians want to make Prince Harry the governor general. Calm the fuck down, you <laughs> deferential loyal subjects, you you sniveling little monarchists, you. Please calm down. <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> 
I am I'm endlessly fascinated by why Canadians care about the royal family. I definitely get the sense that there's just this glee that Canada has been selected by this renegade royal couple that wants to live its days out in peace and off of their own I don't know um brand I guess they've 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 registered the Duke Dutch and Duke of Sussex or the Sussexes or some kind of weird ass thing that's got a lot of S's and X's in it that they're going to try and butter their bread with but what bothers me the most about how Canada covers the royals is it's so syrupy and so overwhelmingly positive. Like we have no ability to be critical about the royal family, the role of the royal empire or the, or, or, or the, the role of Canada as a colony. I mean, all of our problems literally go back to the way that we were founded under this family. And instead, CBC is just gushing endlessly about how amazing it's going to be to have them living here. And every morning after the news at eight o'clock, when they say what the most read story is, and the most read story this past week was about the royals moving to Canada, I'm just like, fuck, Canadians, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't understand why we're so interested in this Nora, family. Nora. I hope that they get peace. I get like that, as you say, it must be completely horrible to live in that family, although they're also extraordinarily rich and do a lot of rich people shit that I find disgusting and uh, grotesque. But I think that they all enjoy it. And that's that's the royal family. They are the richest, one of the richest families in the in the world. And we're like, just like, come on, please come to Canada. We love you so much. We're going to pay for everything that you guys want. We'll make you the governor general. Fuck all of that. Although, fu- the fuck the governor general, too. I mean, f- fuck everything about our system and, and the monarchy. I'm, I'm, I'm very much pro getting rid of the monarchy. Anyway. First of all, I have to I have to correct you that the Canadian media has been uh, nothing but positive about this. And once again, you have something in common with the Globe and Mail. <laughs> the Globe and Mail editorial board. Man, it's so weird. The rare occasions when they get angry and worked up about something uh, and, and the things they get worked up about. Like, it doesn't happen often. But when they do, it's it's like, listen to this headline. Harry and Meghan and why members of the royal family can't live in Canada. Oh. They, they can't? Like, the Globe and Mail is like, like this, the editorial board, no less, is like, no, you can't live here. And it's a bizarre piece of writing. Canada isn't Britain and never was. That's not true. Except, except <laughs> when it very specifically was. Canada never had a class system, writes the Globe and Mail, <laughs> with hereditary aristocrats like Britain. Uh, like, there's a lot of sentences that aren't right in this piece. But then it, it just gets like in like, like, Canada is not a halfway house for anyone looking to get out of Britain while remaining a royal. Like they're really, for some reason, had their dander up about this in a way that I don't really understand. But there it is. You're on the same page uh, in some respect with the Globe and Mail's editorial board, Nora. Yeah, I mean, they're they're are they also like pro immigration in general? I, maybe they're trying to make some sort of broader kind of subversive point here, or maybe they just like me hate hate the royals. I don't know. Like, I I couldn't make uh, sense of it. It seems like they're pointing to some. It breaks an unspoken constitutional taboo. Like, there's something that like scholars of of Canadiana and and our system will recognize, and why this is like. I don't know what'll happen. The the, the 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 crown will turn to sugar or something like yeah. Like like it's it's uh, the rules of Canada are broken if they come move here. I guess I'm gonna end up where I began. I don't really care. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna try to turn this into something that we can care about. The Globe and Mail is a really good example where the editorial board has no problem denying that genocide has existed and apparently also that Canada was ever British, which are two facts that are undeniable. 
when we look towards Britain and the royal family, there's a lot of history there. And a lot of Canadians have history with the British Empire for a lot of reasons, not just their own history through Canada, but maybe through countries that they have ethnic origins from. And I think getting any ties to the royals, I, I think for a lot of people is like, oh, this is so great. We are so close to Mother Britain. We love the Queen. We watch her on Christmas Day for her Christmas message. For other people, I think, you know, we should be looking at this through a very critical lens. How easy is it to immigrate to Canada? The reality is if you're super stinking rich, it's extremely easy to immigrate to Canada. And if you're not, it's very, very difficult. And we should pause in this moment and, and ask ourselves why. All right. You found something in there. You found something <laughs> to work with. <laughs> there you go. That and, and, and news. And that news is, is, is hollow and it sucks. So there you go. <laughs> That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. Uh, you can email me, everybody, at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. Nora, where can people find you and where can they find your podcast? You can find me uh, in the bushes looking for Meghan Markle to say hi to me maybe someday so we can be best friends. Or uh, you can find me on Twitter at nolore, N-O-L-O-R-E. And you can check my podcast out with Sandy Hudson at sandyandnora.com. Our website is canadalandshow.com. I promised a uh, new oppo this week with Jen Gerson and uh, the new co-host for this winter, Sandy Garasino. Um, Jen got hit with a nasty bug, so that's actually coming out today. So check that out today. New oppo, Gerson, Garasino. It is online as we speak. This episode is produced by David Crosby and Kevin Sexton. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do, if you would like to receive ad-free versions, not just of this podcast, but of all the podcasts we publish, that's what you get when you support us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Please do. We rely on your support. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.